I'm so glad to be with you today. Maybe you're watching online, maybe you're out walking the dog, but it's great to be together. Last week, I left to come to church a little bit early. I needed to get some horseradish for my meatloaf. I know, sounds weird, but it's delicious, okay? Well, I decided to go to another grocery store because mine had been out now for weeks. So I headed to the Walmart neighborhood grocery store, parked my car, put on my mask, and went towards the entrance. I had been greeted by a security guard who was sitting there uh, making sure we were all masked up and thanked her for her great service, and then I proceeded in. I really wasn't familiar with this grocery store, so I really wasn't sure exactly where to go. But when I walked in, I saw the home cleaning supplies aisle, which is these days something you always want to check out. And I walked down the aisle, and I couldn't believe it. There was soft scrub, you know, the thing you use to clean your bathroom. I was so excited. I had not had soft scrub for four months. So I reached down, picked up a bottle, and was about to turn around to head to the horseradish when this man with anger looked at me kind of reared back his arm and then pointed down. I wasn't sure what he was pointing at. I just stared at him, frozen. And then he reared back again and like pointed down at the ground and grunted. I looked down and there it was. It was an arrow and it was pointed in the opposite direction that I was walking. He was so angry at me. And I looked at him, and with all sincerity, I just, I apologized. I said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I don't usually shop at this grocery store. I wasn't aware that there were um, aisles that went in certain directions. And instead of saying, no worries, I understand, he grunted again and pointed down at the arrow. Well, I was like devastated. I headed to the checkout line completely forgot the horseradish. But as I got in my car, I was reflecting, I felt so humiliated. I was so embarrassed. I felt so judged. What I wanted from that man when I apologized was just one thing. You know what it was? Just a little kindness. In that moment, That's what I needed was just kindness, not judgment, just some kindness. And then it hit me as I was driving to church. It hit me that today I would be teaching on the topic of kindness. I got to be really careful about the topics I pick to teach on or preach on because it seems like I find myself in the middle of that topic somewhere leading up to the day that I get to teach. Today, we're going to look at a parable like we've been doing over the last couple weeks. And this parable is one that's probably familiar to you. It's the Good Samaritan. If you're uh, sitting with your Bible, you can go ahead and you can turn to Luke chapter 10. If you're not and you want to join us by going to lexcity.info, you'll find there the sermon notes and the scripture, everything you need to follow along. But we're going to look at this story of the Good Samaritan. And what I want to do today is I want to look at it from a different angle maybe than what you've looked at before. And I'm going to look at the topic of kindness. So let's join together. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. 
One day, an expert on religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? Now, this is a good question from this expert of the law. The problem is his motive. Good question, bad motive. You see, Jesus doesn't tell him the answer yet. He answers this young man, I assume, uh, the way Jesus does a lot of times. He answers the question with a question. Hey, you're the expert in the law. Why don't you tell me what it says? And so he does. Verse 27, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now, if the story had ended there, this expert of the law would have thought, man, this story is a keeper. I'll be telling my kids about this, my grandkids about this. Right answer when it comes to Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. Look what verse 29 says. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, it's not written here, but can't you kind of hear it in your own mind? especially if you know the story. Jesus is thinking, I am so glad you asked that question, who is my neighbor? Because I happen to have a story for you. And he continues. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant crossed over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now the story's over. But what you're going to see is Jesus has another question for this expert of the law. And here it is. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Again, right answer. But the interesting thing is, about Jesus, he's not looking for right answers. He's looking for the right heart. And so he finishes his time with this man, with this challenge. Then Jesus said, yes, go and do the same.
I recently came across a book that the title caught my attention. The book is by author, speaker, and missiologist um, Ed Stetzer. And I want you to see the title of this book. Very interesting to me. The title of the book is Christians in the Age of Outrage. And then the subtitle, How to Bring Our Best When the World is at Its Worst. How to Bring Our Best When the World is at Its Worst. I think you can see why this title caught my attention. And I thought about our topic today on kindness and about the Good Samaritan because the culture during this time was in upheaval. There was lots of prejudice. There were lots of groups against groups, opinions against opinions. The world was in an outrage. And you have to really understand some of the background behind the Samaritans and the Jews to understand exactly what's really going on. You see, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. They were racially, racially divided. They were prejudiced against each other. For a Jew, a Jew would think a Samaritan could be anything but good. And yet in this story, what do we see? We see Jesus making a really strong point here that it is the Samaritan who is the hero. It is the Samaritan who is good. It is the Samaritan who is kind. And then I thought, whether 2,000 years ago or today, kindness is a powerful tool for good. Kindness. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible has a ton to say about kindness. Kindness is extremely important to God. And as Christ followers, we realize everything we even have is because of the kindness of God. And in a world that is rude, where people are angry and uncivil, more polarized than ever, to be kind, to be nice, is actually to live countercultural. Would you agree with that? I listened to a sermon by Rick Warren. I was challenged by his words. His wisdom influenced a lot of what I have to say today. But listen to what he says. He says this, I don't know if you realize this, but we put far more effort in looking nice than being nice. We spend more time in front of a mirror making sure our appearance is right then we spend in front of God making sure our attitude is right. And then he summarizes by saying this. He says, to look nice, be nice. There's a word of wisdom for the day. To look nice, be nice. Isn't it true that people like being around people who are nice? And people don't like being around people who look nice but aren't nice. And being religious, Jesus is wanting to say to this expert of the law, doesn't make you nice. Being religious doesn't make you kind. Being like Christ is what makes us kind. So using this parable, I want to answer the question for us. And here it is. How do I become a kinder person? 
how do I become a kinder person? And I want to start by us getting personal with this, kind of doing a little reflection here. Like, do you see yourself as a kind person? Would people that you work with, that you live with, would they describe you as a kind person? When you're in a challenging interaction, when you're walking down the aisle in the wrong direction at Walmart, are you a kind person? The good news is, you and I can become kind people. You and I can grow in kindness. It is about becoming kind, growing in kindness. Galatians chapter 5 talks about kindness as a fruit of the Spirit. What that means is, is that if you're a Christ follower, the Spirit of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit lives in your life. And because of that, you have the potential to bear the fruit of kindness. Now, you may know that I love to garden, and I got a great garden this year. But I have this tomato plant. Let me show you a picture of this tomato plant. Can you see how green that tomato plant is? And you can't tell from looking at this picture how big this tomato plant is, but I'm going to tell you, it literally comes up about to here on me. And, and the, it's probably this wide. It is the most amazing tomato plant. There's just one problem. It has no tomatoes. Seriously, there is not one tomato on this tomato plant. I said to my friend Robin Meek, I said, I am cutting that tomato plant down. It's gone. She's like, don't cut it down. I'm like, it doesn't have any tomatoes. Tomato plants are meant to produce tomatoes. And as a Christ follower with the Spirit of God living in my life, living in your life, we are meant to produce the fruit of kindness as evidence of God's spirit in our life so we can become kind, kinder. So how do we do that? I want to use the parable and I want to look at three ways from this story that I see from the Good Samaritan that we become a kinder person. Number one, I choose to see the person. The first thing is this, I have to see people around me, the person in front of me. Look at Luke 10, 33. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. It starts by seeing things you've been missing. I'm going to get my hair cut this week, and I'm just kind of putting it out there. This is a warning to my husband. Don't miss it. Like, love begins with seeing, but we miss things all the time. Sensitivity begins by seeing. And this man saw the condition of the one who had been wounded. He saw him. I love what Rick Warren says. He says, you can't care until you're first aware. Are you aware of the wounds, the needs, the longings of those around you? Because they're everywhere. They're with you and those that you work with, those that you live with. They're everywhere. And do we see them? Because seeing is caring. But we miss them, don't we? So often we don't see the person. 
or we don't see the wound. And sometimes that's because we're great at hiding them. I mean, I certainly am. We hide our grief. We hide our loneliness. We we hide our, our wounds so that others can't see them. But the second reason is, is because sometimes we're just in a hurry. And I'm telling you something about hurry. Hurry is the death of kindness. Hurry is the death of kindness. Hurry will kill the opportunity for kindness. So how do I become a kinder person? I slow down long enough and I look first. I choose to see the person. And the second thing I do is this. I choose to sympathize with the pain. I choose to sympathize with the pain. I heard someone share um, this key to kindness, that when you're in a situation that calls for kindness, like I was last Sunday, I was in a situation that called for kindness. And my response, even to this man, what you do is you stop asking what's wrong with this person, what's wrong with him, and you start asking what's happening in their life. Like it's just a great little tool. Some of you think I'm really not that sympathetic of a person, but you can become sympathetic. You can learn to be kind. And this is a great way to do it. Because so often, isn't it true, like I'm in a situation and I just think, what is wrong with that person? Why are they driving this way? Why are they acting this way? And if I shift my question from what's wrong with them to what's happening in their life, I can find things start to turn in my heart. So verse 33 says, when he saw the man, he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. There's movement from his eyes to his heart. You see, kindness doesn't just see. Kindness also cares. The good Samaritan didn't just see the man who was wounded. He ended up feeling something for him. And what did he feel? He felt compassion. The NIV uses the word pity. Uh, he felt pity for the man. And that that can be translated that way, but it's, it's actually more accurate to translate the word compassion. And I was doing some research on these different words, pity, sympathy, compassion. And I found something really interesting on psychology today, this diagram that shows sort of the different levels of engagement that start with pity and end with compassion. It's a progression towards kindness, how kindness is expressed. Look at these different stages of engagement. Pity is when I simply acknowledge your suffering. I acknowledge your suffering. But sympathy is when I care about your suffering. When you move to empathy, you literally feel that person's suffering. But when we land ourselves in compassion, we find ourselves in a place where we want to relieve in some way the suffering that you're feeling. The Bible says it this way in Galatians 6 share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. The connection, the engagement that you and I have 
when we move through these stages towards compassion, land us in a place where we don't just see the person. We don't just feel what they're feeling, but compassion calls us, this kind of kindness calls us to a place of wanting to do something for that person. And that is number three. The third thing I can do, I choose to see, I choose to care by having sympathy, but, but the third thing is this, I choose to seize the opportunity. I choose to seize the opportunity. Let me give you a definition for kindness. It's this. Kindness is love in action. It's love in action. You see, kindness isn't an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not something you feel towards someone. Kindness is something you do for someone. It has to be expressed. We choose to act in kindness, to respond, and we choose to seize the opportunity. Let's go back to the story, verse 34. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. This is the third thing that the Samaritan does. He saw him, he felt for him, but then he sees the opportunity to show kindness to him. And he did it right in the moment. He didn't say, I'll be back to get you later. He acted in the moment. Rick Warren calls this the principle of spontaneity. And when it comes to kindness, it means I don't delay. I don't wait. I don't procrastinate. I don't think it through. I seize the moment. Kind is something we are. Kindness is something we show. Kindness is something we do. Philippians 4 says it this way. Your kindness should be known to all. And I read that and I thought, that's a little different for me. I thought like our kindness is something to be hidden, like we don't want to make it known. It's not about that. It's that our kindness should be so reflective of whose we are that it's shown to all, like people see evidence of it in your own life because it's an action. It's certainly true in my life, in my relationships with people in this place um, that I call my church and why I love it so much. What I've experienced is this church is filled with people who are kind, meaning they act with kindness. Just this week, I was at our staff meeting and shared some stuff that was kind of sensitive to my heart. And someone seized the opportunity to be kind to me. I got this text from Christina. She works in our uh, Kid City area. And it came yesterday to me, just at the right time. It said this, Good morning, friend. Are you hanging in there? And I responded, hanging in and hanging on. Thanks for reaching out and for your kindness. She said, continuing to pray, if there's anything at all I can do for you, 
please don't hesitate to reach out. Love you. And my response was, and I wasn't thinking, I'm going to use this as a sermon illustration. This was just natural. I said, I feel it. That act of kindness, she seized the opportunity. She probably had the thought, maybe I should reach out and took the time to do that. That's kindness. When my mom died, it was amazing the acts of kindness that were shown to me. I couldn't believe the stack of cards that came into my house. My dad had passed away 10 years earlier, and I I think because my mom was still alive, like she got the cards. But now with both the parents gone, I couldn't believe it. It like caught me off guard. People went and got cards. They bought a stamp. They found my address. They went to the mailbox and sent me as an act of kindness. They seized the opportunity. I was amazed by you, church. Several weeks ago, when you had the opportunity to respond, to seize the moment for India, who was in crisis because of the typhoon, the money that you sacrificially gave, sort of like the Good Samaritan, who took the money out of his pocket to care for someone else, it blew me away. And we saw the evidence of your kindness to men and women, families, children who had no food. Kindness. Are you seizing the opportunity? Kind is something we are, but kindness is something we do. So there's your three. Three ways you can become, I can become kinder people. I choose to see the person. I choose to sympathize with the pain. And I choose to seize the opportunity. Now there's one word that's repeated three times. And wherever you are, can you say it with me? What's the word? It's choose. Choose. It's a choice. I was telling my daughter about my topic today about kindness, and she said, kindness takes real effort. It takes effort to be kind, and that's true. It does. Kindness is costly. It costs the Good Samaritan time and money and energy and who knows what else. Kindness can be costly. It will cost you. It will cost me. It'll cost us time and inconvenience, even the right to be understood. It's costly. It'll mean going against the culture. It'll mean instead of asking, what the heck is wrong with you, man in the aisle at Walmart? It'll mean responding with kindness. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Kindness. It's costly. And it was costly for God. For God, it cost him his only son. It was his kindness that leads us, it says in the Bible, to repentance. And in Ephesians 2.8, it says this, God saved you through faith as an act of his kindness. You had nothing to do with it. Being saved is a gift from God. So here's my challenge for us today. I've got a question for you. 
Would you be willing this week to pray a simple prayer, one sentence prayer, to become a kinder person, to pray this prayer every day? God, how today can I show kindness? Just today. God, how today can I show kindness? What if you and I were to pray that prayer in the morning on our way out or before we get up from bed, whichever you need to do, and I bet we will start seeing people sympathizing with their pain and seizing the opportunity to be kind. And when we do, this world will be a better place and God's spirit in and through us will be evidence to a world of a kind God who cares about them. Would you pray with me, please? So God, today, what is it that you're saying to us through this message? And maybe you just take a moment where you are to ask him, God, what are you saying to me? And God, help us wherever you're speaking to us. Maybe you're talking to us about the kindness you want to show us that would lead us to repentance, to change our ways, to put our trust in you. For many of us, you're talking to us about stepping in to being active in kindness. Thank you for your word, how relevant it is to our lives. Would you use it to change us from the inside out? In your name I pray and for your glory. Amen.